Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. My name is Glenda Scott. I'm going to lead us to the word today. We're in Acts chapter 9, starting verse 10, going all the way through 25. Please follow along with me. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Thank you, Glenda. So last week, we looked at this same passage of Scripture through the lens of a guy named Saul, who was the archenemy of Christianity, whom God called, blinded in a vision, and said, hey, Saul, you're going to now be on my team, radically saves Saul. He comes to trust in Jesus. And we continue the story, and we're going to look at the same passage, go a little bit further. We're going to look at it through a different lens today, and that is not the lens of Saul, but a man named Ananias. We're introduced to Ananias in verse 10. Luke, Luke, who writes Acts, says this, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. That's it. That's all we know. He's a disciple at Damascus. He's part of the church in Damascus. And God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, you will go. Ananias is nothing compared to Saul. Saul is a gifted type A leader. He's going to transform the world upside down. We're here because of the gospel he preached. But God comes to a man named Ananias. All we know is he's in the church. And he says, you're going to go to a guy, to a guy named Saul, Ananias, and, and he's waiting on you, and you're going to share the gospel with him. You're going to anoint him. You're going to pray over him. And what's Ananias' response? God, I've heard about this man. 
God, whoa, whoa, whoa. You want me to go to who? Saul? The, the guy that is actually coming to my hometown to take Christians, arrest them, and go execute them? That guy. God says, yes, exactly. That's the one. Ananias is scared. Every one of us would be, right? Go to the arch enemy of Christianity and tell him he needs to follow Jesus. Ananias is scared. C.S. Lewis said this, you'll know you're living by faith when what you are doing for God scares you. Christians, are there ever moments where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. If there's not, maybe the question is, am I living by faith? Am I walking by faith? See, there's this misconception that I have to conquer all of my fears before I can step into the ministry, the calling, the life that God has for me. Here's what I say. No, no, no. You need to bring your fears with you into that. And as you start trusting Jesus, as you start stepping into your calling, guess what? The peace that surpasses all understanding, Jesus will begin to have victory over your fears. But many of you are, I love you, many of you are standing on the sidelines because you don't think that you have what it takes to be used by God. And that is the voice of evil, keeping you small, keeping you afraid, keeping you back. Ananias is scared. But when the Lord steps in and says, go, he's going to go. He'll say, church, we believe if you're saved, you're sent. God's called you. And the invitation is, bring your fear with you. And let me use it. Let God use it in the mix. So verse 15, the Lord says to him, I don't care if you're scared. Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry the name but they're carrying my name before the Gentiles and kings. I told you last week, the, great, the next great leader in the faith is probably currently an unbeliever. And what would that look like if you begin to believe that your work, your school, your classmates, the people around you may be the chosen instrument of God to carry his work to the next generation? What if we begin to believe and pray like that? Verse 16, if I'll show them how much you must suffer so Ananias departed. He went. He took his fear with him. And he lays his hands on Saul, and Saul receives his sight. He's strengthened. He's baptized. And this is the beginning of Saul's life. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, Saul also goes by the name of Paul. It's the same person, Saul, Paul. And as we talk about the book of Acts, and as we look, we will follow the life of Saul. The rest of Acts kind of transitions here, and it follows his life and what he does. And we talk about Saul a lot, as we should. He is a gifted leader. He's a self-starter. He's visionary. He's an intellectual. He seems fearless. By the way, he's in his late 20s when God calls him. Remember that, in his late 20s. We talk about Saul a lot, but one of the things we forget is Ananias. Because Saul and Ananias were both kingdom builders, their roles looked differently. Saul and Ananias were both kingdom builders. Their roles looked different. If you are a believer in Christ, you are called to be a kingdom builder. Now what that role looks like is up to the Lord to make clear to you and you to step into See, one of, the, one of the, the challenges we go through Acts is we can look at a guy like Saul with his, with his gifting, his vision, his passion. We can elevate him, and then most of us say, well, I can't be that. Good. We don't need everyone to be Saul. Because hear me, without Saul or without Ananias, there's no Saul. 
Without Ananias, there's no Paul. Hill City Church, I'm going to cast some vision today of continue to sharpen us into the direction that we believe the Lord going is. If you were a covenant member, we talked about our core values that we've recently rolled out. The elders have been working on these for, gosh, a year. If we'll throw those up, please, the core, thank you. You'll see our core values, three that kind of inward and who we want to be, and then three that are outward. I'm going to look at two of the outward ones today. One of those right now is next generation. We believe as a church that the best thing we can be as a church is an Ananias to equip the next generation to go do, continue to do the work of God. One of our core values is next generation. There's a recent update to this, and many of you begin to hear this. As of two weeks ago, we joined a network called Salt Network, which is a collection of 19 churches that seek to plant churches near every university, major university campus in the United States. That's 403 campuses. Churches just like Hill City that exist to meet the needs of the city, to reach people in the city, while also reaching people on a college campus. Why? If we reach the campus, we begin to shape the next generation of emerging leaders. The next generation of leaders in this country are on our college campuses. And it's interesting, when God's going to call someone to begin this new work, who does he call Saul, a young man, to step into the calling he had? And who does he bring right alongside him? Ananias, an older man to invest in him. We as a church, one of our core values is next generation, meaning we are going to continue to keep at the front of our focus in ministry, college ministry, reaching college campuses here in Springfield. There's over over 30,000 students in this city. We want to continue to reach them. Hear me, this is opposite of many churches and philosophies because here's the deal with college students. They don't pay the bills. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't. But oftentimes what happens is churches like us, we start to grow and then the focus changes and we start to focus on the current generation and pleasing the current generation who pay the bills while the emerging generation is left to wait for their turn. Here's what we're saying to Hill City Church. No, we ain't waiting. As a matter of fact, the younger generation is going to have a seat at the table in everything that we do and we're going to invest in them because we believe God has always used young people to reach the kingdom, we reach people for the kingdom of God. Almost every revolution that's happened in the United States, whether good or bad revolution, has started on a university campus. Do you realize that? Go back and look at the major movements, the major revivals that have shaped American Christianity, there's been a few, have all started on college campuses. And what happens is these movements start there and then they spread out. Here's an example. Facebook, where'd it start? On a college campus, right? And it grew and grew and grew. And now none of the college students are on it and every grandma in this building has a Facebook account. <laughs> you reach the campus, you shape the next generation, and you reach America. You reach the world. We believe it. Most great revivals start with young people. Most movements start with young people, not megachurch pastors. It starts with young people. Why? Because they're foolish. That's exactly why. 
They will take risks that the rest of us will not take because we have a house payment. They are willing to lay down their life for a cause. They are foolish for Christ. I look back to the things I did in my 20s and 30s in ministry, and I'm like, what was I? I told Aaron Nelson, who works with our college students, like, I will never let you do half the things that I did. Guys, when I was 29, I started a college midweek gathering. I had 20 students. End of May, the next fall, I decided I'm going to start a college midweek gathering. I started at a, we rented a bar in downtown Springfield that no college students went to. It's an old people bar. We rented it out. First week, packed it full of students. It's the stupidest thing I could have ever done. How many of you, some of you are here. Like, give me a shout out if you were here in those early days when we started. Like, there are some, and what were we thinking? (laughs) Then... We, we grow to, I don't know, 80, 100 people over that year. And the next year, I'm like, okay, first week of school, Missouri State, outside at the big mall, the Bear Paw area, we're going we're gonna to have this huge kickoff thing. That was an embarrassment ready to happen, to take a group of 80 students maybe and, and the big 500 students show up. I would never do it now. <laughs> I was foolish. And God used it. Now, does this discount the older generation? No, 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 because here's the beauty, and we see it with Ananias. God's calling here is a shared partnership between the younger and older generations. Like the best scenario we can have is older generations discipling, investing in these younger generations to go out. Adults, let me talk to you for a minute. Your greatest impact for the kingdom may be to give your life to equip the next great leader. Are you willing to be Ananias? Like, Paul sounds exciting. My name might be known. Most of us had never heard of Ananias until we read this scripture. Adults, and I'm talking to myself, are we willing to lay down our life for the next generation to disciple the next great leader? We need more Pauls or Paulines. That are willing to lay down their life and go and go all over the place, go all over the world to share the gospel. But behind every one of these leaders, there better be some Ananias people investing in them. And I look back on my life, guys, and I grieve for time spent. I've never had an Ananias invest in me in my early days of leadership. I had a few people kind of cheer me on, but never someone and say, hey, you may not want to do it like this. And I grieve that time lost. Hill Street Church, we will not make that mistake. We will invest in the next generation and send them out. And as I look at this crowd, there are Ananias ever. I could, I could do this all day. Jeff Carr runs our, our mission stuff. I sent him a, a text when I was studying this. Like, Jeff, when I think of an Ananias in your church, you're the first one that came to my mind. He pours into all of our young people to prepare them to go out and do summer missions. Leads it. Glenda, who read scripture. What? <laughs> What does a woman in her 60s have to give college students? Everything. That's what. And she does it. Guys, if we, if we she has a group of, of college students she lead. If we decided to break that group up, we would have a riot on our hands. That's how much the, they care for her. Jesse and Tammy pour into college students. We have, Jen that, we have Jen that invest in a bunch of our college girls. Josh and Jill Coleman. Every time I talk to one of our young leaders, I hear, yeah, I was just at the Coleman's house talking to them. Sean, like... I could go all day long. In 
in our church, our ability to impact the next generation will depend on having people my age, our age, as Ananias invested in this next generation. Are we willing to do that? Because that takes humility. But here's what I'll tell you. There is nothing better. Hear me on this. There is nothing better. If you're over 30, there's nothing better than to pour your life into a young person and watch back and just stand back and watch them go and cheer them on and correct them when they make mistakes. There is nothing better. Last week, there's a young black man reading scripture right here before my sermon. In the back, there's an old geezer that walks out the back door. Why? Not because he's mad, but because he loves this kid so much and this kid's getting ready to move that he can't stand it. He's weeping all over the place. He has to go catch a breath of air in the back. That's exactly what we want Hill Street Church to be like. Behind every great leader, future leader, is an Ananias pouring their heart out for that person. Hill City Church, will we be that? So Paul spends about three years in and around Damascus being discipled. Young people, hear me. Paul spent three years before he went to go start planting his churches. Young people, do you have the humility it takes to step underneath an Ananias and learn and grow? Like you're 21, I know you know everything about what the church needs to be doing. But maybe you don't. (laughs) Maybe you don't. Verse 20, immediately he proclaimed, this is Paul, Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Like they're, they're, They thought this guy's going to kill Christians. Now all of a sudden he's like on their team. They're like, is this not the man who's, who's arresting Christians? Verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You see this? Saul's saved by Jesus. Ananias pours into him. What happens? Immediately, he goes and starts proclaiming Jesus. Here's what's cool. We see it here all the time, and I've seen this for years. You know who tends to reach the most unbelievers? Brand new believers. You're going to see in a second a girl that we baptized last year who came here from France and didn't even know who Jesus was, and she's going to stand up here because she's already invested and someone's going to get baptized. Which, on one hand, we applaud and we cheer and we're like, amen, that's how it should work. On the other hand, older believers, can we all challenge ourselves and say, when's the last time I shared the gospel? When's the last time I invited anyone to church? When's the last time I stepped into any way the hope that is in Christ Jesus? If you are saved, hear me, if you are trusting Christ, if you're a Christian, if you are saved, then you are sent I don't know what that looks like. It doesn't have to look the same for everyone, but if you are saved, you are sent. Our job at Hill City is not to gather here, sing some songs, celebrate, give, you, give us your money, teach you the Bible, and say, have a good week. Our job is to equip you and send you into your Holy Spirit-filled calling. All through the history of Christianity, ordinary people have been the tip of the spear of the ministry of God. Listen, if we build Hill City Church around the strengths of me or Brad, the ceiling's about right here. It is. Someone knows me like, amen. (laughs) I can attest to that, brother. 
If we build this around a couple of people, we will make zero impact. Ordinary believers have been the tip of the spear always. You are called by Jesus. You are sent by Jesus into your vocation, into your school, wherever you are, to do the work of the ministry. And that has always been what has been the leading edge of Christianity. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So remember, now he's on, on Team Christian side. And the Jews, uh, as a whole, are rejecting Christ. And they don't want him preaching the gospel, so they want to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So Saul spent three years in and around Damascus, a few different places, growing and learning. After three years, he's, he's continued to share the gospel. The Jews get angry. They, he knows he's like, they've got to do something. And so by night, they sneak him out, lower him on a basket through the wall, when his foot hits the ground, that is now Paul on mission to plant churches all over the place. This is our first commissioning service. Lowering in a basket, hits the ground, and he goes after it. There had to be a temptation from the people in Damascus to keep Saul there, to keep Paul. Right? Can you imagine that? Three years, like gifted leader. Like, here's... There had to be a committee like, no, we want to make him pastor of the first church of, of Damascus. But they didn't. They sent the best. And Paul goes and he's going to plant churches all over Europe and Asia. And it's why you're here today. Which leads me to another one of our core values, the very bottom one, multiplication. From the time we started Hill City, here's what we said. We will be a church that multiplies. Not adds to, but multiplies, sends out. We've been growing. We're four years old. The first couple of years, it's like we got to just plant. we got to be alive. I told you about a year and a half ago that we're like, we started as a baby church. Now, a year and a half ago, we're like teenage church. And I said, we got a few pimples to pop, and we're, we're trying to kind of work on some things. We are now getting to the stage as a church where we have got to begin looking at multiplication. Will we be a church that plants new churches? Which, by the way, is about half of a percent of churches ever plant another church. Hear me, half of a percent of churches ever plant another church. On that trajectory, we will be Europe. You know what I mean by that? Churches in Europe, you know what they are? Tourist attractions. Restaurants. Clubs. We believe at Hill City Church in multiplication. We will be ascending church. We will be a multiplying church. And hear me, we will send our best. Not our leftovers, we're going to send our best. Because here's what we believe, the presence and favor of God exists around those who send. Hey, you didn't hear me on that one. The presence and favor of God, hear me, rest around churches that send. Hill City, don't ever take for granted that we get to celebrate 20 baptisms Sunday. You know how many churches get to do that? Don't ever take that for granted. God could remove his favor in one second and we become a country club. 
And we believe as we continue to step in and be faithful to share the gospel, but then send, that God will continue to bless and send us next generation leaders that we can then send out. Our prayer is not just, God, bless Hill City. Our prayer is this, God, help Hill City bless the city and be kingdom-building church. That's got to be our prayer. If you've been around Hill City, you know this. We, uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, got donated money to purchase a property just east of, east of downtown over here. We've been working on flattening that building. If you've been driving by, it's starting to come down. Over the next two weeks, it's going to be gone, all the stuff. They've taken out from the inside out, okay? We, uh, right now, the elders are working on, here, here's what we're doing to give you guys an update, because that's our goal, is to have a facility there that we can keep sending out people and building up leaders and sending Right now, the elders are working on seed gifts for the next phase of actually building a property. And I need you all to pray, because it doesn't make sense on paper how a church with a bunch of college students and 30-year-olds can build a property over there. We need a work of God. We need the Spirit of God to move in the hearts of people to do something bigger than we can do. And so we're praying for that, we're seeking that right now. But as we talk about a building, hear me on this, my greatest fear is not raising money to build a building. My greatest fear is that getting a building, we will become satisfied and think we're done. No, that is a first step in ascending church. Having a place where we can gather, we can equip, we can train so that we can send. Hear me, a kingdom-minded church is more focused on sending capacity than seeding capacity. Our goal is not to build a 10,000-member auditorium church. Actually, the auditorium we have is not much bigger than this, and it's going to limit us. Why? So we'll multiply. Because our goal is not to become just a marginally bigger church. We will have very little impact for the kingdom. Our goal is to send and multiply and watch those churches grow. There will be a day really soon, I believe, where we will have more people gathered in churches we start than we'll have at Hill City Church, and I can't wait for that day. As a church, our vision is gospel multiplication to equip and send qualified young leaders to start new churches. One of our goals will do that, and this fits into next generation, is we have a ton of college students here. Here's the cool thing about college students. They come to leave Springfield, but we don't believe that. We believe they come to be sent. So one of the things we're going to do with our students is challenge them as we plant churches. When you graduate your senior year, would you consider moving to that city where we're going to plant a church, get a job there, and invest in that city? Hill City Church will be a multiplying church, and hear me, it will cost us. It will cost us money. It will cost us resources. It will cost us our best leaders. It will cost us friends. I did college ministry for 10 years. I went into a mild depression every May whenever seniors would graduate and leave. There is a cost to sending. But we believe it's worth it. We believe that if we begin to have a kingdom mindset and focus beyond just this building, that God will use us, this, our generation, which is we're like a vapor, that God will use us to accomplish his work and it'll be the best thing we could ever do. Here's how Jesus said it, John 12. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's the promise of Jesus. Hill City Church, I want you to hear this. Here's the promise of Jesus. Keep your seed, your resources, your talent, your money. Keep it and you lose it. Here's his promise. Plant it and you gain. Do we believe him? That's the question. Do we believe him? Do we believe that in our planting, in our giving, in our sending, that actually we will experience life? If we just try to grow in seeding capacity in Springfield, Missouri, in one campus, we will make a, quote, successful church. But if we will step into growing our sending capacity, we will be a kingdom-building church. And we will be like Ananias. And who cares if anyone knows the name of Hill City Church? So some of you, you're a Paul, a Pauline. Like you're gifted, you're young, you're ready to go. Like give me a direction in the hood and I'll go. We want to send you. Many of us, and I say us, are Ananias. And the best thing we can do for the God's kingdom is to invest in the next generation of leaders that will turn this world upside down. So teenagers, we got a lot of, but our kids here, Hill City kids, you still up here? They're in here for the baptism. You guys are being awesome today, by the way. I'm trying to go fast, but you're doing awesome. Good job. Hill City kids, teenagers, here's my challenge for you. Stay faithful. Keep learning. Keep growing. Listen to your teachers. Listen to your parents. Teenagers, plug into our student ministry. Because here's our goal. We want to get you on our college ministry. We want to grow you into a great leader. College students, keep growing. Keep preparing to be sent, not to leave and just go get a job somewhere to be sent. Now, some of you, that's going to be, you're going to be staying in Springfield. You're going to be sent here to get a job, work in this church, to do some things here. For others, you're going to, we're going to send you other places. Ask the Lord, God, how would I be sent? Young adults, I'm going to talk to you. Those of you that are out of college, we've got a bunch of your age range. You don't have any kids yet. Maybe you're single, you're getting married, you're in kind of that. Will you, young adults, don't waste a time of your life that you have so much free time to pour into gospel ministry. Don't waste your life hopping happy hours and hanging out with your group of friends every weekend and going on. Like, could you see a bigger call for your life? I was talking to one of our 20-year-olds this week in our city group. She was talking about how when she was a, a teenager in her youth group, there were these adults like in their 20s that were pouring into her. And she's like, when I was in my teenage years, I thought it was because I was so cool and they wanted to be around me. And here's what she's like, no, now I've learned I was lame. <laughs> and the reason they were around me is because they loved me and they sacrificed. People in their 20s, are you willing to lay down your life for the next generation? Like people laid down their life for you. calling that generation to invest into ministry and begin to invest down. We had a lot of you in your 30-year-olds, 30, 30 like young kids. You have young kids, you're, you're married. Uh, your age group of 30-year-olds is who needs to start planting churches. Like most cases, a 22-year-old does not need to plant a church. Any amens on that one, right? Have you asked the Lord what he has for you? Since you were in college, 
Have you asked the Lord what he would like to do in you? Do you consider your vocation part of your calling? Like one of the challenges in American Christianity, we've separated vocation and calling. Those are the same. Your calling is part of your vocation. That your career and discipleship do not have to be mutually exclusive. They can be done simultaneously. 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, my prayer for us is that God will wake us up out of a middle-class existence where we care about a good house and a good dog and a good family and a nice place at the lake and more fish and more burpees and all the things that can distract our time. And then we begin to step more and more and more into how can my life matter? How can it matter? How can it be for something bigger than myself? Older adults, and I'll let you classify yourself there. <laughs> the Hill City Church, it doesn't take much to get in that category. Will you give your remaining days, whether they're 10 or whether they're 30, for the next generation? We will not, as a church, cater to our growing generation. We're going to mobilize and try to reach the younger generation. Will you join us in that? One of the things that made me weep this year is we had a group of, of our older people start a little gathering. They call themselves the Spartans, which I love. It's just like, Ugh. And they started gathering together, I don't know, once a month or so to connect. And, and a lot of times in churches when that happens, it's the older generation complaining. But here was their heart. Here was that they said, what do you need? That's what they said. What a beautiful, beautiful testimony of the gospel. We need you here as Ananias is pouring in the next generation. Hill City Church, if we keep our seed, we will lose it. If we invest our seed, we will gain it. The paradox of the gospel is the invitation to come and die. And in that death, actually find life.